What do these words have in common? Motel, brunch, and podcast. Hmm. And why may the fountain of youth be in your next energy drink? <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Well, those are interesting words that put together don't seem to have anything in common. Isn't that the truth? What are they again, Marsh? <laughs> Motel, brunch, and podcast. Motel, brunch, and podcast. Yep, they all fall into a category. A category of words? I'm not talking. Okay, motel, <laughs> brunch, and podcast. Okay, so they are all combinations of words. Ah. Motel's like hotel, but yeah. with motion. Uh-huh. Brunch is like uh, breakfast and lunch. Uh-huh. And podcast is a pod and a broadcast. What's a pod, Bob? Pod, I don't know. What's Think the pod? Think about it. Put a letter in front of it. Pod. Spod, mod, cod, lod. Put uh, a letter in front of it. Okay, tell me. iPod. It's a combination of iPod oh, and broadcast. Oh, that's right. That's where it came from, wasn't it? But you nailed it. it. Uh, it's a combination of two words, and there's a name for that, word blending. It's called pormentos. Pormentos? Yeah. Sounds like something I would eat. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? P-O-R-T-M-A-N-T-E-A-U, pormentos. Wow. And other words that fit into that category are things like chortle for chuckle and snort, like our, <laughs> like our grandson, smog, smoke and fog, mockumentary, right? Mm-hmm. Spork, fork and spoon. Yes, I and remember that. Moped. Motor, and was it pedal bike, That's right, right? motor yeah. and pedal. There you go. And those are samples of pormentos. Pormentos. They're not something you put on top of something no, like that's cheese. Pimento. <laughs> Pimento. Okay. Why may the fountain of youth be in your next energy drink? Let's see. My next energy drink, which... It has to I, do I with an ingredient in yeah. those energy drinks. That is there now? That's or? there now. I don't know, Bob. The study has shown that taurine, that's T-A-U-R-I-N-E, found in energy drinks and naturally in meats and seafood, could make you live longer. The researchers fed high concentrations of taurine to mice, monkeys, and worms, and they published the promising results in the journal Science recently, and all the groups receiving the extra taurine were healthier and lived longer. Mice, they lived about 10 to 12% longer than the control group, and no they kidding. had more muscle endurance. All right. Well, who knew? And I don't like energy drinks. Well, well, this, again, is something that also occurs naturally in meats and seafood. It's an amino acid, taurine. They don't know yet whether humans will see similar results, but they think that supplementing with that amino acid might delay your health problems. Now, how much would you need to take? Here's the problem. The animals were given huge doses of taurine. Well, for a human to yeah. take the same level from the energy drinks, you'd have to drink 63 cans of Monster per day. <laughs> I never even heard of that. That's a British thing? No, oh, that's an energy drink out there. Is it in locally too? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, Bob. Go ahead to the stores, Marsh. Take a look at the shelves. <laughs> you know, if you don't use it, you tend not to look at That's it. That's right. So, okay. All right. This will pique your curiosity. Around 1900, what pet sold for up to $5,000? A pet? Yeah. In 1900? House, household pet. 
and that's like 179000 in today's bucks. Wow. <laughs> what kind of pet would be worth that? Wow. Let's see. In uh, 19... Is this a pet we have today? People have today? So, yes, some people have them. Is it still considered exotic? No. No. So it's considered normal, mm-hmm. common. Mm-hmm. It's not a dog, obviously. No. It's not a cat. It's no. not a... Well, what is it? A bunny. What? Yeah. Belgian bunnies, to be specific. Beatrice Potter, the Victorian-era author behind The Tale of Peter Rabbit and The Tale of Flopsy Bunnies, right, right. had a love for rabbits and hares. The Belgian hare, which Potter owned and based Peter Rabbit on, became so sought after, I assume because some of her books, yeah. that adopting one was an extravagant purchase. Between 1898 and 1901, thousands were imported to the U.S. for adoring buyers. Wow, and this is all due to Peter Rabbit books. Uh, yeah, they wow. just caught on. And the Belgian hair boom emerged, and they sold for, like I said, $5,000. However, like all fads, the Belgian hair market burst when the breed fell out of favor around 1917. So, so it stopped hopping. It had a good hop. <laughs> By the 1940s, they were scarcely seen in the U.S., and today, breeders have worked to keep Belgian hares from going extinct. Wow, so totally different now. Jeez, Belgian hares, never heard of that. Remember, the Freunds had a bunny. Was that a Belgian hare? I don't know. That's a good question. Well, here's something that we see a lot of. I want you to name this plant. Okay. It's used as a food for silkworms, its leaves can be eaten as a salad for people, its roots used as a medicine, and at least one country, the plant is a commercial source of rubber. Now, we consider it a nuisance, almost worthless. What is it? You'll be seeing them popping up in your yard as the summer comes around. Well, it's a, it's a tree, right? No. Some kind of tree? No, it's some kind of plant? Yes. It's a pod? It's a plant. With pods? No, I didn't say no. pods. Okay, I'm saying pods. Where did you get that? I don't know. That's well, your first just... question? No. <laughs> Okay, I don't know. What's the answer? It's the dandelion. Really? Yeah, it's used as a food for silkworms when mulberry leaves are in short supply. Its leaves can be used to make a salad, if necessary. The root is used as a medicine and can also be roasted as coffee, believe it or not. In Russia, the dandelion is a source of commercial rubber, and the dandelion's name comes from the French dent de lion, meaning (laughs) the lion's tooth. Oh, say that again. Dent de Lyon. Oh, I like you talking French. The lion's tooth, yeah, because <laughs> of the shape of the leaves, uh, the dandelion. We consider it kind of worthless, you know, cut yeah. it, and oh, here they are popping up all over everything. Little kids love them, of course. They look beautiful, right? Yeah. That's probably the first flower most kids ever picked for their mommy was a dandelion. But it has a lot of different uses. Yeah, more I picked than I them thought. for my mom. You? Yes, of course. Yeah, little bouquets, and they all acted thrilled to have them. That's right, <laughs> and then threw them away. Well, mine put her in a little glass for a couple of days. Oh, sure, with water. Yeah. Speaking of bunnies. Okay. Rabbits' eyes have the ability to do what when they sleep? Rabbits' eyes have the ability to do something when they sleep? Correct. The rabbit's eyes stay open? They stay open. That's the answer. I don't know if they're seeing, but they stay open. Probably to to keep them uh, aware of predators and things like that. Despite being blind for their first weeks, rabbits develop an amazing range of vision. Once they can peek through their eyelids, bunnies have nearly 360-degree view. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Which helps them spot predators. They also have the ability to sleep with their eyes open because they have a translucent third eyelid, which keeps the eye moist while they're sleeping. 
And beyond their eyes, bunnies rely on two other noteworthy senses, their sound and smell. They breathe only through their nose, which allows them to smell the world around them, even while eating to detect danger. Hmm. And their ears, which we love little bunny ears, right, are incredibly right. sensitive. And they can rotate <laughs> each ear 180 degrees. Oh, no kidding. Picking up sounds and potential threats up to two miles away. We always think of uh, owls being able to rotate yeah, that way yeah. with their necks, but a I bunny never... can actually twirl its two, ears. And they can hear two miles away. Holy cow. So you know how when we go in the yard, sometime and you see a bunny way across the yard looking all of a sudden at you that they pick that up immediately well i know that we are blessed with wildlife in our backyard and i've seen both bunnies and deer pick up their ears when i do something in the kitchen between two or three panes of glass it's amazing while they're eating all my plants that's right what they're doing out there yeah oh there's her husband there's now the- we're in trouble <laughs> all right going along with nature There are no hummingbirds in the state of Hawaii. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No native hummingbirds. In fact, hummingbirds are banned in the state of Hawaii. And why is that? (laughs) That's what I was just going to ask you. Okay, that's the question. Because they take the nectar away from those flowers and so they don't reproduce. No, the reason is they don't want them there because they will pollinate something. Oh, they will pollinate. Yes, and that will change the nature of that food. What is it? Why are there no hummingbirds in the state of Hawaii? Pineapples, yes. Pineapples originated in Brazil, and they're full of seeds when they're shipped from Brazil. The problem was the pineapples had been pollinated, pollinated by hummingbirds, which are native to the region. Uh And once they're pollinated, the pineapple becomes inedible. Well, really? Yeah. In 1899, when James Dole graduated from Harvard with a degree in agriculture, he went to Hawaii, where his uncle was the governor, and he decided he would import pineapple plants and grow pineapples in Hawaii because there were no hummingbirds there. No natural hummingbirds and had he ever figured made that it. Out. Yeah, he knew that if we could have this plant without being pollinated, the dull pineapples were seedless, tender, and sweet as sugar. All right. And then from that point on, they've decided we don't want any hummingbirds. Well, how in did Hawaii. they get rid of them? <laughs> they just prevented them from coming in. How? By Why? law, legislature. How could there not be a hummingbird there? Because none had ever reached there. There were none there. Many species never made it to Hawaii yeah, because it's so isolated. It's a long trip. One of the most isolated places on Earth, 2,000 miles from mainland anywhere. Yeah, that'd be hard on your wings. Yeah, hard on those tiny little wings. <laughs> okay, this Justin from Benjamin Christopher in Los Angeles. He wants to know, why do we call hair-raising events goosebumps? That's a good question. Is it? Does it have something to do with the birds? Yes, it does. It really does? Yeah. Okay, do geese get bumps when they get excited? And that's why we call these goosebumps? Nope. Okay, what is it? We get goosebumps on our arms. Our little hair rises up, right? From fear or sudden feeling of excitement or even being cold. Mm-hmm. Okay, the term goosebumps derives from the phenomenon's association with goose skin. Goose feathers grow from pores in the skin that resemble hair follicles. And when a goose feathers are plucked, its skin has protrusions where the feathers were. And these bumps are what the human phenomena resembles. Oh, no. So then it does resemble something yeah. on the geese. Yeah, they okay. look like bumpy flesh of a freshly plucked goose. They're all, they're, <laughs> that all, uh, it's, it's a holdover from our prehistoric days. 
Goosebumps are the end result of an adrenaline rush meant to ward off a big chill or predators back in the good old days, uh, prehistoric days. Brits call them goose pimples. Goose pimples. Yeah, but if you <laughs> if you take the hair off a goose, it looks like they got goosebumps. That's good. Mm-hmm. What do corn, sweet potatoes, peppers, allspice, pineapples, and turtle meat have common? They have something in common? They all have something in common in it, history. In history. Corn, sweet potatoes, peppers, allspice, pineapples, and turtle meat. Is that the stuff they took on the ships to cross the ocean? That's right. They were all discovered in 1492 and brought back to Europe by Christopher Columbus. I got one right! He discovered all of those foods which were unknown to Europeans. The corn, the peppers, the plantain, the pineapple, sweet potato, and yes, some of those peppers that he brought back were used as a medicinal preparation to treat Queen Isabella, who fell ill for a time in 1493. So some of her medicine that she was given came from the New World, and she survived. Which one did she take? Peppers. Some of the peppers huh. came back from the Indies. Okay. Ready, Bob? Yeah. What animal can never die from old age? That means it dies really quickly. Is it an amoeba? No, in this case, it means it can only die if a predator kills it. Oh. It won't die from being too old. Hmm, okay. But that was a good deduction you did. Is it something that just... Yeah, like a cellular that lives lives an hour or something. No, that's a good guess, but no. Okay, so does this have legs? Uh, Well... Like a quadruped, four legs? No. Is it an insect? No, it's not an insect. Does it live in water? Yes, it lives in water. Okay. Would this be some kind of... Um, hmm. We've talked about this animal before. Not a minnow. No, and we it has many weird properties. Octopus. No. But uh, the, dolphin. No. The immortal jellyfish. Oh, no kidding. Yep. Known scientifically as the Tropicus dorini. Well, I've talked about that many times I in know. my life. <laughs> this morning over cornflakes. <laughs> the Tropicus dorini. Yeah, this pr- I thought it erupted. <laughs> I thought that was one of those That's volcanoes. Right. Well, it's a particular kind of jellyfish that has the ability to essentially regenerate to its previous life stage. Hmm. When this species becomes damaged for whatever reason, it can revert back into a polyp and repeat its developmental process. Wow. So it never dies, unless, of course, it's eaten or taken out. But this amazing regenerative ability means they will never die from old age. Interesting. Isn't it, though? Okay, I've got a couple of historic questions. Okay. What U.S. president was also a hangman? <laughs> he was actually an executioner at one point in oh, his he life. He was an executioner? Yeah. Former president? Yeah. Well, no, he was a future president. He was an executioner at one point. The only U.S. president to serve two non-consecutive terms. That should get it right oh, there. Yeah, it should. Uh, that would be uh, That would be, uh, terms. yes. That's, what's his name? Uh, what's his Everybody name? Knows Everybody it. knows it. Everybody knows. Everybody does. And his name is? You tell me. On Sesame Street, there was a character with his first name, Grover. Cleveland. Yes, Grover. There we go. <laughs> I had to go to puppets to get the answer. We'll get there one way or the That's other. The, thank you. Yes, Grover Cleveland, the only U.S. president who served two non-consecutive terms. So he went away and came back and was president again. He also held another record. He was the only president who had served at one point in his life as a hangman. Jeez. That's when he was the sheriff of Buffalo, New York. He personally operated the lever of the gallows for two men's executions. Boy, imagine the commercials against that guy. You no could kidding. Do. He's, wow. he's a killer. <laughs> 
than just showing them, you know, chopping somebody's head off. And then I've got another question here for you, okay? Okay. What famous discovery was made during a top-secret Cold War project? And we'll answer that when we return (laughs) (laughs) with more of the off-ramp. While I Google the answer. (laughs) No, no. Okay. I'm Bob Smith. Marsha Smith. We'll be right back in just a moment. (laughs) That's good. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its internet radio station, CPL Radio. Once that show's done on Monday nights, we go out over all the podcast platforms all over the world. And here we are in your ear. All right, Marcia, what famous discovery was made during a top-secret Cold War project for the U.S. government? Uh, I don't know. This is a major discovery. Okay. We were all fascinated by it when it happened. Uh-huh. We saw the first pictures of it in about 80 years. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> what is it? Everybody knows, Marsh. Everybody Marsh. knows it. It's under the ocean. It's, oh, the uh, Titanic? The Titanic, yes. Robert Ballard went to the U.S. Navy in 1982. He was requesting funding to develop these robotic submersible technologies to find the Titanic. Well, the Navy was interested in the technology, but not for the Titanic. They wanted to put it to use to find out what went wrong with two nuclear submarines that sank. Oh, God. So he was funded to find those. Once he found them, if he had time left, he could do whatever he wanted to do. So... He and his team went to work. They discovered the wreckage of the U.S. Navy's uh, Thresher and the USS Scorpion. So what he determined was the nuclear reactors were safe on the ocean floor. They were having no impact on the environment. And he found no evidence that any Soviet weapon sank either one of the ships. He said one of the most valuable lessons he learned while searching for those sunken submarines was that the heaviest objects sink first, and that results in a debris trail. So he used that knowledge to track down the Titanic. He assumed the ship had broken in half and left a debris trail. It turned out to be true. And only in 2022 and 2023 has the U.S. government ever acknowledged that was the reason he was on that mission, was to find these two submarines. Oh, really? We all thought he was out there and found the Titanic. Well, he was funded by the U.S. government to find nuclear submarines that had sank. Jeez. Interesting. Okay, Bob, earlier this year, the Harris Poll People and Axios News Outlet did a survey of 16,300 people, and they asked them to name the most reputable brands. Okay. There were 100 listed. You want to guess what the top ones were? Number one was Acme, the dynamite company in the Roadrunner (laughs) cartoons, because that dynamite always went off. Anything that said Acme on it, we knew the Roadrunner was in trouble. (laughs) <laughs> That's not the answer, is no, it? No, it's not. Okay. In fact, I don't even know this first one, Patagonia. Okay. That came in number one. You know what that is? It's exercise equipment, isn't well, it? Well, it's outdoor clothing and gear. Oh, outdoor clothing and gear. Okay. Yeah, that came in at number one, followed by Costco, <laughs> where you and I hang out. We know out. that one. <laughs> John Deere, Trader Joe's, and Chick-fil-A. Well, those are all the top brands so in terms of people's minds. That's right. But going down to the bottom five. What are they? 95, it comes in Spirit Airlines. Then Facebook. Oh, really? Then Twitter. Then 98, Fox Corporation. Wow. 99, FTX. That's a digital currency exchange company. And number 100, the least reputable brand, the Trump Organization. (laughs) Good Lord. So down at the bottom were all those names. Yes. You know what I find fascinating is that social media is held in such low esteem as a brand. Yeah. Marcia, in what country is it illegal to mow your lawn, hang your laundry, or recycle on Sundays? Well, 
Is it South Africa, Norway, China, or Switzerland? You know that sounds China-like. Is it? No, it's not. Okay, that's why I'm saying Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is Switzerland. All right. Ding, 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 ding. How did you get that? On the I second did. choice, <laughs> according to TravelTrivia.com and Time Out, Switzerland has a number of idiosyncratic laws on the books. Three of them concern what you are not allowed to do on Sundays. I don't care for that. Mowing your lawn, hanging your laundry, even dropping off your recycling. See, that would not fly in America. No. That's, we, we think of Switzerland as, uh, you know, pretty much utopia in a lot of ways, but you're not going to tell me what to do on my Sunday. Don't mow your lawn then. All right. Good to know. <laughs> okay, baby. How tall is a baby giraffe when it's born? Oh, that's a good one. We've been watching the National Geographic uh, special on elephants to see one of those being yeah. born. And boy, yeah, that, that thing was big when it was born. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Yeah. Must have been three and a half feet tall. Okay, how big is a giraffe. giraffe, a giraffe when it's born? How tall? Is it four feet? Mm. Is it three feet? Mm. Well, what does zoom mean? <laughs> six feet. Oh, my God, when it's born, it's yeah. six feet tall? Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. And 150 pounds when it drops out of its mother's womb. Wow. It reaches full weight and height around age four. 16 to 18 feet for males, the average height. And girls come in at 14 to 16 feet tall. Jeez. 18 feet tall for a male giraffe. My God. Well, we've at, seen them at the zoo, you yeah, know. Big. And, and full weight also comes in at around seven or eight years old is 4,250 pounds for the male. Wow. But and, a baby that's six feet tall weighing 150 pounds <laughs> when it comes out of the womb? Oh, that poor mother. Yeah. Holy cow. I had no idea. Wow. All right. Uh, that sounds unrealistic. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is this unrealistic, Marcia? You've okay. seen those old war movies where a guy will pull a grenade pin out with his teeth before uh, he throws it. Uh -huh. Why is that unrealistic? Oh, it is? Yeah. It's not our thing? Well, it could be done, but it would be very difficult. Because... I don't know why. The pin on a common M67 grenade requires 7 to 11 pounds of force to pull. That's a lot of teeth, huh? So, well, pulling a grenade pin out with your teeth would probably remove the teeth as well. <laughs> I'm sure when World War II veterans were watching these films when they first came out, they'd go, Oh, come on. <laughs> Nobody do that. Okay. Well, here's a question. Why do we say every dog has his day? Why do we say every dog has its day? <laughs> yeah. You know what that means? Yeah, it's kind of like uh, no matter who it is, you know. You get your moment in the sun. The moment in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Why does every dog have its moment in the sun? Why is that? A, I don't know. Why is that an expression? Well, good old ancient times again. And today in some third world countries, dogs lead miserable lives, which has led to hard time expressions like sick as a dog, dog tired, and it's a dog's life. That's true. As for the proverb, every dog has his day, it was first recorded as an epilogue in 405 BC. Holy cow. <laughs> for Greek playwright Euripides, who was killed by a pack of dogs. <laughs> and that was in his epilogue. <laughs> so every dog has his day? That yeah. had something to do with him? Well, yeah, his he, death? Was, he was killed by a pack of dogs. So every dog has its day, yeah. meaning they get a the chance to do something they yeah. want to do? Well, the, uh, well that's... that's day to shine. They killed the famous playwright, okay. yeah, Euripides. 
Well, well, I didn't know that's how he died. That must have been unpleasant. Yes, it's not uh, something I knew either, Bob. Speaking about unpleasant, Marcia, <laughs> if they are bathed, what causes that unpleasant wet dog smell? Oh, it is. It is stinky, isn't it? It is, isn't it? And here's what? the answer from the American Kennel Club. Is it some oil in their skin that's when wet permeates your nostrils? You've got the right idea. It's not due to the dog itself, but to the yeast and bacteria that live in dog fur. Ah, good times. Those microorganisms release volatile compounds as they live out their lives on our dogs. We don't usually smell those, but when you mix with water, some of those chemicals become pungent. And the combination becomes pretty stinky. And the water evaporates from the fur. The compounds become airborne. And uh, a wet dog basically makes a little stink cloud wherever it goes. <laughs> so they say that drying your dog quickly with a towel can, uh-huh. can lessen that, the way that smell is. Oh, no is. kidding. Yeah. So you might go, oh, God, I don't want to put this on my towel. Well, yeah. that's the way to get rid of that smell from <laughs> the dog. It'll keep those microorganisms from doing that quick population explosion that okay. a damp environment gives them. I have two quick expressions. See if you know where they came from. Close, but no cigar. Close, but no cigar. I always thought that had to do with you're winning something at a carnival. And it the, does. The carnival would be, that would be the prize. You'd get a cigar. That, that's exactly right. Okay. It was a prize handed out for carnival games in the old days. Hmm. I didn't know that. Close, but no cigar. Yeah, and okay. here's one that I really like. Put a sock in it, it meaning to keep quiet, right? Is that a carnival expression, too? No, no, no. Okay. This is a different... Put a sock in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've heard of that. I've said it to you, I believe. Many, many times you've said, put a sock in it, yes. Yes. And close your pie hole, as yeah. I recall, was another one I've heard recently. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, gee, I don't know. Put a sock in it. Where does that come well, from? Well, you like this. It comes from the earliest Edison phonographs, which had those big horns, you know, to bring out the sound. Yeah. There was no volume control in those days, so to mute the sound, you could stuff a sock into the horn. <laughs> Is that where it comes yeah, from? Yeah, it was the perfect size, and it didn't hurt the paint. Put a sock just, in it. Yeah. I'll be darned. Isn't that funny? That's good. Yeah. I've got an entertainment question. Okay. The term movies, that originally did not apply to the films. What did movies originally apply to? Moving boxes or something? No. Something on wheels? No. What? The people working in a movie. Oh, the movie, really? Yeah, in the little but affluent town of Hollywood, people who worked in films were often called movies, and the movies were looked down upon. They, they were barred from the best clubs. Don't want any movies in here. <laughs> they, they didn't want movies, Jews, or Negroes. That was the thing. <laughs> that was according to Hollywood land and, and legend. Didn't the Jews kind of start Hollywood, too? Yes, yeah, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Why, would they, why would they not be? I do have, interesting, the background of those guys is fascinating. We'll have that on a future show. I'll get to my quotes then. All right. If, are you done? Yes. Okay. Helen Keller, keep your face to the sunshine and you will never see the shadows. I like that one. Wow. That's uh, interesting that a person who was blind could talk about well, sight Well, she could like feel that. it. She could sense it on her face. Yeah, right. She always fascinated me. Yeah. And here's one from Jane's Dent. A perfect summer day is when the sun is shining, the breeze is blowing, the birds are singing, and the lawnmower is broken. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how we finished last summer, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> the lawnmower did get broken. Uh-huh. All right. Well, that's it for today. We want to thank uh, Benjamin Christopher of Los Angeles for submitting his question to us. That's good. And we invite you to submit anything you'd like to by going to our website, theofframp.show. 
and scrolling all the way down to contact us. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.